pick back up here and we're going to cover some ground. So we're going to look first. Here's a question. Uh, okay, yep. James 5.16 says, confess your sins one to another. Actually, it says confess your faults, depending on the translation. Uh, <clears throat> to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. How do you explain this verse? It's very simple. This is talking about personal relationship between you and another person. And your relationship is what's being healed, not their bodies. Okay? You, could, you go to them. This is exactly what Matthew 18 says. It's what Jesus told him. So when you have somebody, uh, you know, offend you or do something against you, have ought against somebody, you go to them and you tell them. And what are you doing? And if you've done something, you go to them, you lay your gift down, you go to them and you go and you confess your faults, you, your sin, your trespass, whatever you want to call it. And that, that you have committed against them. And then when you do that, then you are healed together and you're brought back together and you've won a brother. So it's very simple. It has nothing to do with physical healing. Okay. Um, yeah, I was trying to think if there's any way it could. Not really. Nope. Okay. <clears throat> now, both spiritual salvation and physical salvation are paid for, provided for, uh, because of the cross. Yes, a person has to repent of his sins to receive spiritual salvation. How come one does not have to, uh, how come a believer does not have to repent of his sin to receive physical salvation? Okay. Well, because the difference is <clears throat> we have, now they can, you can, if there is something you've done and it's caused that, uh, then yeah, you can repent of that and that's fine and you'll receive forgiveness and that's, that's fine, that's good. Uh, and you'll be healed, okay? But that's not every case and it is that we are learning to minister to people so that we are told to go out and lay hands on the sick and it doesn't say anything else about, about them having to repent of anything. Uh, not one person that Jesus ever ministered to did he first say repent and then I'll pray for you. He didn't cause them to do any of that. Everything, all that was based on his stripes. And what we minister is based on his stripes. So it's exactly the same thing. So he did not require it. So we do not have to require it. Um, now, you have to see that when you put these two together like that, now you're making the conditions of one bleed over into the conditions of the other, which is a natural human thing to do, but it's not a divine thing to do. Okay? So we have to keep these separated in that sense. Now, I mean, it is true. They're both paid for. They're both... Uh, taken care of. And when you talk about a person having to repent to receive salvation, uh, there is a sense of sorrow. There is a sense of turning away from and turning to. Uh, but the main idea there is that they quit going one direction and they go the other direction. So it's not as much about uh, like with, with sickness or something like that. There may not be anything they have to repent of. You understand? Uh, as we said earlier, uh, just because a person's sick doesn't mean they committed a sin to get sick. So there may not have to be a sin there they have to repent of to get healed of it. Right? So, okay. Does that make sense? We, I, mean, I want to make sure it's clear enough. So, a couple of things I want to mention very quickly. Uh, if you go to our website, there's a section there that you can sign up for newsletters. And what we were doing is we were trying to figure out the best way to put this together. But what we're doing is instead of individual newsletters, we're putting together a, what is called a digital magazine. And so instead of sending out individual newsletters and kind of blasting you getting three or four or five of them at different times, we're going to compile them all together and send it out at one time. And that way you would have, uh, instead of having a DHT newsletter, a mind renewal newsletter, a new man newsletter, uh, a general update newsletter, all these different things, we put them all together and instead you'll have columns. In, in, every, in categories. And every uh, month when we send these out, you would get this magazine type of thing 
digital through email that would give you ongoing teaching on the DHT. It'll take questions. You can send in questions. We'll answer them, put them in that magazine. And then we will also be talking about the DHT, about healing. We'll be talking about the new man. You'll get ongoing teaching every month on these four or five different things. And you'll see testimonies and everything that's going on. When I've gone back the last couple of times, every time they I go to my door and there's a box on my door and they put stuff in. And so I check it and <clears throat> so far, I think the last three times, the last two or three breaks we've had, I've gone back and there's new testimonies. So even while we're in here, we're getting testimonies. One is like two or three pages long. Young man in Africa got a hold of our DHT, uh, started watching it. it. He said it rang true in his spirit. He began doing it. And then he just gives us the list of all the people that's been healed and all the different diseases. And he's thankful he got a hold of the teaching. And he says, you know, now disciple me. I want you to disciple me. And I'm kind of like, that sounds like you already got it. Keep running. You know, let's go. Let's go you know? I mean, there's, there's some stuff we'll work with you on. But the whole point, here's the thing. And I don't want to sound um, mean or anything like that in this. But the scripture says that Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew what was in the heart of men. Now, take from that the idea of what I'm trying to get across here. There's a lot of people. We get emails, calls, all this stuff all the time. I mean, I could show you my phone. You, you, you would laugh. Um, just in my emails. Um, I, haven't, I haven't looked at the number of emails that I have in there, but, and these are unread emails. But the last time I did look, which was probably Tuesday maybe, uh, 27,400 and something. <laughs> That's in my email box. Okay, So it takes me a little while to get through, you know, if you write me an email. Uh, but that's because everybody has questions. Everybody has requests. And, and if it's a prayer request, we do get to them, especially if it's marked as a prayer request. Something like that, we get to those very quickly and we get on them. But the point I'm getting is this. <clears throat> I can't spend a lot of time with everybody. I would like to. It's just impossible. <clears throat> but I can devote myself to working with people that are committed to moving forward. People that are committed to continuing this on, that want to get this, want to learn it, want to do it, and, and are agreeing to share it with others. That it doesn't just stop with them. We don't, I don't want to pour into a person that's just going to be a dam. Right? There, it has to be a river that it flows and it continues going. And so uh, if you want to do that, then I'm, I'm for you. I will work with you. I'll do everything I can. Uh, we would have to make the connections. We'd have to, the best thing to do is first off, uh, sign up for the email newsletter. That'll put you in there. Send me an email that, that lets you actually probably best not to send it to me. Be better to send it to my daughter or somebody else because they actually get it faster and uh, they'll bring it to me. We also have what we're calling our Operation 222, which is simply 2 Timothy 2.2, which says that we are to share what we've learned with faithful men and women who will be faithful to in turn share it with others. It's a discipleship program that we're looking at working together, right? And really discipling people. That's the best way we can do it. Not just by email, but there'll be uh, Skype calls and different things. And if you're available, when I come to your area, we'll be able to meet up and that kind of stuff. So there's a lot more to it. We're working around the limitations that we have. But uh, if you're interested in that, let us know. Get plugged in. We're trying to create almost like a um, chat room community type of thing to where we can all go in meet, talk, ask questions, that kind of stuff. We've got some other things going on 
Uh, we'll be doing live broadcast and answering questions. And there's just a lot of stuff in the, in the works. And so if you're interested, you're serious, you want to move forward, let us know. Because we will work with you. We will help you. Our goal is not just to teach. This is, you know, this is, I, I really want to work myself out of a job. Right? That's what I'm trying to do. And so we just keep moving forward and keep doing what we need to do. So also we need to start that timer back there, I guess, or whatever we're doing. There we go. Uh, or at least fix it. <laughs> I don't know. So let's look at some things. Um, <clears throat> we're going to go to John chapter 14. You say, wasn't that, isn't that where we were a while ago? Yep. About three sessions ago and we never got there. That's where we're going. So John 14. And we're going to start, let's see. You already know John 14, 12, where he says, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. And then we go on to verse 16. Well, actually 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's a good one. Verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth. So now we know who this comforter is that he's talking about. Whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knows him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now go back to verse 16. <clears throat> I'll pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. The word comforter there in the Greek is the word paraclete. Paraclete. It's two words, para and clete. Okay? And it literally means to be called one that is called alongside together to take hold of together against. Right? That's a long way of saying it. But really, it comes down to this. He's our helper. Okay? So the comforter, he's not just a comforter. Really, that's really not a good translation. Uh, he, is, he is the one that is para, beside. He's the one called alongside of us to help us in something. So we know that he is the helper. Okay? Now, <clears throat> go with me and we'll go to a couple of verses here. Um, actually, let's read a couple more here because I want to take you to, where do I want to go? Down to 26? Yeah. Verse 26. But the Comforter, the Paraclete, the Helper, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever, whatsoever I have said unto you. Now go with me to chapter 15. And we're going to look at <clears throat> verse 26. But when the comforter, paraclete, helper, is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. Now go with me to chapter 16. We're going to look at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And then he goes through all the list. But now notice, again, these are all verses talking about the Comforter. And in every one of these verses, the word paraclete or helper uh, is, is used. Okay? Now, remember, the Holy Spirit is our helper. He's with us. He shall be in us. Now he's in us. So our helper abides with us. So we are never without help. 
You got that? We are never without help. So there is never a reason for failure. There's never a reason to not be able to do something. Why? Because our helper is always with us to help us, right? Now, go with me to James. <clears throat> Run over to James real quick. If I can get there. Where am I going? There we go. Go. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity, or abundance, we would say, of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Notice who's supposed to do that. We are, right? He didn't say he's going to do it for you. He says you do it, all right? Now, that has nothing to do with where I was going. I just saw it there and I wanted to tell you about it. So, look, where I was going was verse 22. Verse 22 says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man, beholding his natural face in a glass or mirror. And for he beholds himself, and goes his way, and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty... Now, notice that's what he's calling the word because he's talking about us looking into the word and we're looking into this mirror. And he says, but if you, if you, whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty, so this word is also the perfect law of liberty. And continue therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now, a couple of things. First off, I don't have time to go into this too much, but I will say this very quickly. If you have a portrait what do you see? A portrait is a picture of someone, right? It's a picture of someone. You look at a portrait, you see someone. If it's not a portrait of you, you don't see you, you see them, right? right. If you look in a mirror, what do you see? You see yourself. Now, isn't it amazing that here he says that a person, he says, be, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if you're a, only a hearer and not a doer, then you will, it is as if a man looks at himself in a mirror but then walks away and forgets what he looks like. You hear that? Notice he didn't say, it's like a person looking at a portrait. Why? Because we would think if this is, okay, this is the Word. And Jesus was the Word made flesh. So this would be a portrait of Jesus. Right? It's a portrait of Jesus. But he doesn't call it a portrait. He calls it a mirror. So what do you see when you look in a mirror? You. Why? Because we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. As we look at this word and we do it. Now, the problem is if we look at this word and we go and we don't do it. Now we've heard it. We've seen it. But as we turn away, we forget what manner of man we are. You see, we forget what we are. Why? Because we look at it and we don't go do it. But when you go do it, now you're a doer of the work and you're blessed in your deeds because now you're doing and you're actually being who you are. See that? When you do this, you're being who you are. Are you with me? Yeah. Now, that's not my message, but it's good, wasn't it? Okay, anyway. So, yeah. <clears throat> okay, so it's one of those points that it's like, if you get a hold of that, everything changes when you read this, right? Because this is the DNA of God, but it's your DNA. Why? Because Peter tells us, by these precious promises, he has given us exceeding precious promises by which we become we might become partakers of his divine nature. 
By these precious, we take these precious promises and we take them out and we do them. And when we do them, we work them into our DNA and our DNA, the, okay, DNA, divine nature attributes. You got that? So our DNA is this. And when we look at this, when we take these precious promises, we do them, we work them into our DNA and his DNA becomes our DNA. Amen? Amen. And we are changed to look like him. All right, so let's move on. Now, so you've got to be a doer of the word, right? But now notice, notice what it says. We are to be what? Doers of the word. Be ye therefore doers of the word. James 1.22. Is that right? Be ye therefore doers of the word. Not just hearers deceiving yourself. Notice if you're a hearer and not a doer, it, it doesn't even say the devil deceives you. You deceive yourself. Usually because you read it and you don't do it and yet you think you are and you deceive yourself into believing that you're actually a doer of the word when in reality you're just a hearer. There it is right there. <clears throat> now, let's look at the next one. You are to be a doer of the word. So who's the doer? You're the doer, okay? And yet we have a Holy Spirit, a comforter, who is our helper. So we're the doers. He's the helper. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. Now, how come the church twists that around? You can't, <laughs> can't make no money. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> I'll write that down. I'll write that down. <laughs> You'll hear that on the next CD. <laughs> I'm like Milton Berle. I don't come with this stuff. I just steal the good stuff and put it all together. So, <laughs> so Now, it's, um, the, the, the point here is that if he's the doer, or if we're the doer and he's the helper, then if we don't do, he can't help. And say, too often, what does the church say? Well, we're just going to follow the Holy Ghost. Uh, no, you're not going to follow the Holy Ghost. He's following you. Isn't that right? All right, let's look at this. Go with me back to, go with me to Mark. We'll go to Mark, and we'll go to Mark 16. Mark 16. And we know this. We've already read it. I'm not going to read it all, but we've read down to verse 15 through about 18. Take up serpents, drink any deadly thing, lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. Verse 19. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere. The, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Now, the word them, saying the Lord working with them, is not in the original Greek. So you could actually read it to say the Lord working with and confirming the word. You hear that? Now, he was working with them because they were, were co-laborers and all that. I get that. But I'm just saying he's working with the word because he told them to preach. And he's also working with the word. But now notice, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Get that? Signs following. So signs follow. So if something follows, what does that mean? It means that something goes before. Right? Okay, now let me ask this. And this isn't a trick question, so don't try to figure it out. All right, just, just answer what you know to be true. Okay. Can a human heal? No, we've already been through that, right? Who heals? The Spirit heals. Isn't that right? Yeah. God, the Spirit, heals through us. So He actually heals. Isn't that right? Yeah. Now, but He's our helper. So our helper actually heals. But if He's our helper, okay, we do the Word. We're doers of the Word. He's our helper. So we have to do the Word... And if we don't do the word, he can't help with signs following. See, with signs following means there has to be something first for a sign to follow. 
right? So if we're not doers, he can't follow and he can't help. And if he can't help, then signs can't follow. So if there's no activity of the Holy Spirit, it's because the Christians aren't active, right? We have to be active first. And when we do, he helps. See, we lay hands, he heals. Co-workers together. You got that? I do my part, he does his part. Now, I was in South Bend, Indiana. It is the home of Notre Dame. It's the home, it was the home of Dr. Lester Sumrall. Uh, it's where I went to, to study under him. And when I was there, it is also known as the home of Studebaker. It's where the Studebaker automobile was built. Uh, the Avanti was built there. Uh, the Avanti was an amazing car. When we were there, we saw it. They actually demonstrated. They took a wheel off, a, a four-wheel car, right? They took one wheel off, and the car still drove. So perfectly balanced that it, it didn't, you know, most cars, you know, it would have fallen. It didn't do that. It kept driving. It was amazing. Good, good demonstration. So we go through there. Uh, it was so well made, it's now out of business. <laughs> okay, so like many things like that. Well, <clears throat> we go up there, and they were going to take us on this tour through the Studebaker factory. And so we're going up through there, and they were showing us, and they were doing other cars there at the same time. And all these other, the Studebaker and everything was in their museum. So we go up, and it's this huge factory building. <clears throat> we walk in. It's a hot day. And when we get in there, there's this big, it's almost like an airplane hangar. It's so big. And we start walking in and they say, okay, we're going to walk over that side and there's this catwalk thing going up on the side and you go up and there's a little bitty room and they had this whole floor and all the cars and the uh, car chassis and the bodies, all that stuff was out there. So we all, you know, little tour group goes traipsing up this stairway and we go into this room. When we get in there, it's air conditioned. I mean, it's cold. You could, you could almost hang meat in there. It was so cold in there. And in and, and the shop floor, it was so hot. When you walk in the door, you just burst out in sweat. And so we're going upstairs, we go in this room, and there's this guy sitting there in this big plush chair, and he's got these, these controllers in front of him. And we're sitting there, and he's giving us a, you know, the verbal tour, oh, this is what that is, and, this is and he said, now watch this. And, he, and so we're watching him, and he's got these little controllers. This guy's sitting there, he ain't breaking a sweat, he's just sitting there, and he's got this down so that he can tap this thing. He's not even really, you know, he's not really paying close attention, he's just tapping it, and this, every time he would tap it, <clears throat> there was an arm, there was this crane out in the factory that every time he would move it, this crane arm would move. And he'd move it down, and the crane would come down, and he'd lower it down, and he would grab a hold of this chassis of a car. And we're talking like, you know, 1,200, 1,800 pounds. He'd grab this thing, and he'd pull it back, zoop, and it'd come up, and he'd move it over here, and he'd drop it down on this thing, and they'd be down there, the other workers down, and you'd hear them zoop, 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 doing all this stuff. He's just going around, and, and he's just sitting there talking to us, I mean, he's not even busting a sweat. He's just sitting there, not, not getting tired. You know, he's sitting in his comfortable chair, and he's going through, and they're putting out cars. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at that, and, you know, I'm just going through a tour. I'm just going through a factory tour, trying to listen to the guy talk, and God starts talking. And I'm kind of like, okay, you know, sorry, I didn't hear, okay, you know, I'm trying to listen. And he kept saying, God kept telling me, that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, what? What's the Holy Spirit? You know, <laughs> what, what is? And he said, you see, he said, this man was hired to do the will of the company, to put these cars together. But the man couldn't do it. The man could go down there. He couldn't lift any of those things. So the company had to put something between him and the car bodies that amplified his power, his strength, 
to give him the ability to accomplish his will, which is the will of the company. And I'm putting all, I'm, I'm, you know, sorting all that. And I said, yeah, okay, okay. He said, that's what the Holy Spirit is. He said, every time that man moves that, that, that little joystick thing here, there, he said, every time that, that arm moves and he does what he couldn't do. That thing gives him the power to do what he couldn't do, but it's accomplishing his will. And if he takes his hands off of it, the thing just sits there until he does it. And so I'm looking at that. I'm like, and all of a sudden it starts hitting me. I start seeing the, you know, the magnitude of this thing. And I'm, I'm getting excited. I'm there, you know, and I, I'm, I'm about ready to start, you know, jumping up and down and you know, doing the charismatic calisthenics, you know, I'm talking <laughs> and, and, you know, getting all excited and starting yelling everything. And, and they're thinking, well, this guy really likes cars, doesn't he? I mean, he's really into cars. And it wasn't me. So, but I started realizing that. And then whenever I started to minister, I started taking people. And when they would come out, I, I started realizing, you know, whenever I get there, when I get to this person, see, it's just like a doctor and a nurse. A doctor and a nurse work really good together. The longer they've been together, the better they work together. And that nurse working with the doctor, now he's the doer. She's the helper. Isn't that right? Yeah. She helps him. And so if she's been with him very long, she knows where he's going to go next. She knows what he's going to do. She can look at that thing and go, yeah, he's going to need. And she has all the tools over here, all the instruments. And she'll say, uh, and, and before he even says, uh, give me this. Because why? She's seeing where he's going. She's not seeing where he is. She's seeing where he's going. Right. And she's giving him the tools that he needs to get it done. So every time he needs something, he just holds out his hand. He may say what it is, but she puts it in his hand and he does it. Right. So he goes through all this stuff. And now notice <clears throat> whenever she does that and she gives him the tools, I started realizing that whenever I stand in front of people and they come to me, there's a line of people. And here I am coming down to each one. And the next one, I don't know what they need. Have no clue what they need. I probably don't have what they need. That's this was my thinking then. I didn't understand some more things, okay? But at the time, I thought, I probably don't have what I need then. But whenever I step in front of that person, the Holy Spirit with me, my helper, watching what I'm doing, knowing where I'm going next, looking at that person and going, here's what they're going to need. And he's got all the tools that they need laid out so that when I stand in front of them and I put my hands out before they put their hands out, he puts what I need in my hand. So that I never have to worry about what I have or don't have. And whenever I step to the next person, I don't even think about what the last person needed. Why? Because now I'm on this person. And now he has what I need for this person. And no matter what it is they may need, he has the answer and he puts it in my hand. So I never have to worry. Why? Because he's my helper. Amen? He knows what's right. And let me give you another example. Let's say, and I'm not a painter, okay? Uh, or an electrician or any of that kind of stuff. But let's say... <clears throat> I was here and I came in and there were some situations going on here and I'm looking around and I'm, I'm looking at this. And I'm like, you know, we need to do this. We need to. And, and matter of fact, we need to do some electrical work in here and we're going to need. And now if I'm a, a, a licensed okay, electrician, <clears throat> then I'm going to be there and I'm going to be looking at that and, and I'm going to have what with me? A helper. Isn't it right? Now, the amazing thing is I'm the licensed guy, the contractor, whatever it is, and my helper is there. And I'm saying, okay. Uh, we're going to need uh, probably, you know, these 20 foot of this type of gauge wire. And my helper, if he's a good helper, he's writing down everything I'm going to need. Right. And then as he goes through all this stuff and I said, we're going to need this. And if he's a good helper, he'll look. Now, when we get to that corner, you're going to need a, a, an elbow joint there. So you, you, you probably need at least one, two, three, four. I'm like, yeah, it's good. Eyes. So he writes down, we're going to need four elbows there. And so we're just going on through. And then when we get done, <clears throat> I would take that, that list and I say, OK, I'm going to go and I'm going to go. Uh, get uh, get this stuff so we'll be ready and uh, so get everything ready when I get back and so I would leave and when I come back if he's a good helper 
He's got the tools laid out. He's got the, the crimpers. He's got everything I need laid out where I need it so that when we get there, all he's got to do is pick it up and hand it to me. Isn't that right? So he goes before me and he gets everything ready. And then whenever I, but I have to do it. Why? Because I'm the licensed guy, right? So I have to do it. He can't do it. Legally, he can't do it, right? I have to do it. I have to put it together because I'm the licensed guy. And so I get up there and as I'm saying, yeah, I, I'm going to need that uh, Phillips head. And before I even say it, it's already in my hand and I'm putting this thing together. So are you getting the idea of how the helper, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete is supposed to work with us? Now, you understand, we have to do the word. What does the word say? Believers lay hands on the sick. They'll recover. Now, we, we do the word. What word are we doing? We're laying hands on the sick. But the helper does the work. You got that? He's making it happen. And so he's a good helper. He's right there. I'm never without him. I don't, and, and I don't miss anything because anything I would miss, he tells me. You got that? So this is what the Holy Spirit is to us. So no matter what we do, he's there. Now, the beauty of it is, as we step in and we do this, when we, when we leave, when we step to the next person, it's being fixed. And so the sign is following. So for the sign to follow, I first have to move. You got that? So for him to follow, for him to do his job, to help me, I have to first do something for him to help. The problem is the church has tried to reverse that. The church has tried to make us the helper and him the doer. You get it? Well, we're going to just follow the Holy Spirit. No, he's following you. Signs follow you. If he does the signs, he's got to follow you. You can't follow him. Do you understand that? Yeah. Now, you say, but we're being led by the Spirit. How many of you, how many of you have ever had a backseat driver? Okay. That's like the Holy Spirit. Okay. He's not driving. He's just telling you where to go. You get it? And he's sitting. Now, he's behind you. Why? Because he's, he's doing the signs following. But he'll be telling you, as he's doing the signs following, he'll be telling you, make a ride up here at the next side, and you make the ride. So you're being led, but being led doesn't mean you're following behind. Isn't that right? A good shepherd, I mean, honestly, if you watch, well, shepherds, cattle drivers, all of them, you watch, they, they call it cattle drive for a reason. They don't get in the front and ride off because the cattle sit there and look at them while they ride off. They just sit there, right? You have to get behind them and drive them, right? Well, that's okay. Let me give you another. Uh, pastors. Okay? See, a pastor, <laughs> a pastor can't get in front and walk. He's got to get behind and drive, okay? Why? Because if he just gets front and walk, everybody will just sit there and look at him and watch him do everything. So he has to get behind and drive. Go, nope, let's go, let's go. You go, you go over here. See, that's what a good pastor does. A good pastor doesn't say, you just sit and watch me and I'll do it all. And you know, you pay me to do your spiritual stuff and I'll do it all for you. No, that's not a good pastor. He's enabling you. He's not equipping you. A good pastor equips you and says, all right, you've been here long enough. We need to start seeing some fruit, right? Otherwise, you know, when I'm going to check at the front door. If you ain't got no testimonies, you ain't getting in here, right? <laughs> Imagine what kind of church that would be, Amen. People start coming with some testimonies. Amen. So, but you see how the Holy Spirit works with us, how he works with us, how he's our helper. We have to get a hold of the fact that he's our helper and that we do and he helps. See, we, we're doers of the word. He's the helper. Amen. Now, very quickly, go with me. Where do we want to go? Where do we want to go? Let's see. Try to find the right place here. Yes. Yes. Go with me to the back of your manual. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to find. There's the questions. Yep, oh, we're getting there. Getting there. Yep. Okay. Yes. Uh, page 167. 167. Now, I want you to listen as I read these next few things to you. 
I want you to listen carefully because I want you to recognize if what is said here is what you've been hearing these last three days. Okay. <clears throat> these are some personal memories of John G. Lake by Gordon Lindsay. He says, it is an underestimate to say that the ministry of John G. Lake was unusual. He possessed a remarkable ability to create faith in his hearers. Ministers who sat under him soon found that they too had a ministry of faith that resulted in healings of a most startling character. Since it was impossible for Dr. Lake to minister personally to the great numbers that sought his services, he usually had a band of lay ministers and workers called divine healing technicians laboring with him to answer calls to which he was unable to attend. One of the writer's first memories, that would have been Gordon Lindsay's first memories, of a healing was that of a woman who was instantly healed as a result of the prayers of one of Dr. Lake's ministers. Not Dr. Lake, but one of the people he had trained. The woman <clears throat> was a Mrs. Watts, wife of a prominent officer of a local church. This woman had become seriously ill, and the physicians decided that her only hope was an immediate operation. The cost of the proposed operation was well beyond the family's financial resources at the time. However, in desperation, the husband went to a local bank and arranged for a loan to pay the cost of the operation. In the meantime, the writer's mother, Ms. Lindsay, who had great faith in divine healing, felt a burden to pray for the family. She went to the sick woman and encouraged her to believe God for healing. But her church, the woman's church, had taught against divine healing. And in fact, the woman herself had not taken any interest in this teaching. But as is often the case, when desperate illness or death faces one, they are inclined to alter their views. Amen. Okay. The lady consented that prayer should be offered for her healing. Mother then took the next train to Portland in hope of getting Dr. Lake to come to pray for the woman. However, when she arrived there, he was not available. And as the need was urgent, Mother requested that one of the other ministers go. The good brother who went. Now, the amazing thing is he didn't even know his name. Name didn't even mention here. The good brother who went did not have much of a knowledge of social amenities. Right? You couldn't get an idea of what this guy might have been like. Right? He didn't, he didn't know all the politically correct things to do and say, right? In fact, he was a rather rough and ready preacher, hardly to be distinguished for his ministerial polish, right? I'm reading this, I'm thinking, I like this guy already. <laughs> but now notice, but his faith in God was strong, and though he had acquired a rather brusque, unceremonious manner of dealing with the sick, notice he didn't say of dealing with devils, dealing with the sick, Right? He didn't even have a ceremonious way of dealing with sick people. It means he wasn't really nice and sweet and kind and that kind of stuff. He said, even though that was the truth, it produced results even though his mannerisms sometimes offended people of fastidious taste. <laughs> okay. When mother and this preacher arrived at the home of the sick woman and he had opportunity to observe her critical condition, he lost no time in telling her that the sickness was the work of the devil. Now, you remember she was the wife of a prominent minister of, of a church there, right? So you got to get the picture. This woman's in bed, sick, dying apparently. This Ms. Lindsay and this preacher gets there. He looks at the woman and goes, ah, you got a devil, right? Now, you know that didn't go over good, right? Not, I mean, she, I'm sure she was thinking, do you, know who I, do you know who my husband is? And you're going to talk to me this way? 
He said, well, I know who the wife is, and you got a devil. That's what he's going to say to her, okay? After giving the woman some instructions, he proceeded to rebuke the illness with a loud, booming voice that carried through the whole house. Then, rather roughly, he told the woman that she was healed and for her to get out of bed. The lady at first hesitated to do this, but shortly afraid to disobey. <laughs> she did as she was told and rose from her bed to discover to her great joy that she was made whole. The pastor of the local church was at that time very much opposed to this ministry. This miracle was the first step in convincing him of its reality. Eventually, he became convinced of its scriptural foundation and received a notable healing himself. Incidentally, the banker who had loaned the money for the proposed operation was startled indeed a few days afterward to see the husband come to the bank to return the money. It was a testimony which caused many in the community to wonder and take note. Such were the methods used and the results obtained that gave the work of John G. Lake the prominence that it achieved. And this wasn't even John Lake. This was somebody else. No, he don't even have the name. But imagine, notice this. She was, she was more afraid of this preacher than she was of getting out of bed and dropping dead. Right? I mean, think about that, right? Yeah, there you go. Now, look at this. Here, this is amazing to me. This letter sat for over 100 years, or right at 100 years, okay? This letter was written on the next page, page 169. It was written on April 22nd, 1911. And it was John G. Lake's letter to Carrie Judd Montgomery. And if you don't know who that is, you ought to do some research because she was an amazing woman, had a healing home out in, uh, uh, well, just on this side, up in Oakland, put it that way. It was in Beulah Heights in Oakland. Well, there it is right there. <laughs> Beulah Heights, Alameda County in Oakland. And he wrote this to her. In 1911, he was in South Africa. And so he was writing letters back and what he would do is, she was a stopover for missionaries that whenever missionaries would write letters, they'd write them to her and then she would copy them and then send them out to all the local churches and that kind of stuff. So she was kind of a, a way of getting the word out of what was going on. So he wrote her a letter and said, Dear Sister in Christ, enclosed to find some letters, so it would be a whole bag that would be sent to them, with incidents, etc., of what the Lord is doing among us. Reverend Stevenson has arranged for us with a friend for the circulation of the letter which you find enclosed. I regard it, that letter, not this letter, but another one that he had, I regard it as a striking example of the force with which this gospel comes to people of open mind and was pleased to have a man of his caliber concerning the work. In other words, this man came out to check out things and he looked at it and he said, wow, you're not even telling half of the story. Of course, he viewed the work on a day when the Spirit of God was moving mightily. It was an extraordinary day. Therefore, it's only fair to say that all of our meetings do not have the same degree of power that was in that one. So now you can see how honest he is about it because now he's saying eh, it's a good meeting, better than most, as a matter of fact. <clears throat> However, we praise God that he is moving strong and steady and clearly. I am reminded to write you through the reading of Mrs. Anderson's testimony as it appears in the Triumphs of Faith. That was a newsletter that Carrie Judd Montgomery put out every month, and so he had read a testimony of this woman. I haven't a copy of a letter that I wrote some time ago to a missionary by the name of Hoover at Valparaiso, Chile, on the subject of divine healing, which embodies, now listen to this, which embodies what I regard as the secret 
of the aggressive ministry of healing that the Pentecostal movement in South Africa demonstrates. So now I'm, when I'm reading this the first time, this was around, I don't know, 2000, maybe, well, actually been about 97, about 98. I'm reading this and he's talking about this letter and he talks about this letter that he wrote to Hoover and he said, in this letter, I wrote the secret of how we're getting such great miracles. And I'm thinking, where is that letter? I want to read that. I want to know what's the secret, right? He wrote it in a letter and now they're, they're, he's teasing me because I'm seeing it here and I don't know the letter, right? So, and I'll tell you maybe a little bit more about that in just a minute. So, now this, this uh, guy, Hoover, was a missionary. He was a Methodist missionary named Willis C. Hoover. He went down, it was with the Methodist church, and in 1910, he wrote to Lake because he heard of some things going on, and he said, what is this? And Lake said, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So Lake wrote him a letter first, and Hoover received the baptism of the Spirit, and as soon as he did, he got kicked out of the Methodist church. So he went across the street, and started the Pentecostal Methodist Church. Right. Okay? So, I'm sure he spent a lot of time thinking about that name, making sure he got the right name. Okay? So, now, so I'm thinking, where is that letter that tells the secret? Then he says, I do not know that I will be able to send you a copy of that letter at this time, but at my earliest convenience, we'll have a copy prepared and send it to you. He says, I feel, sister, that there is a step in this ministry in advance of what the Pentecostal movement in general enjoys. And God, now listen carefully, and God has laid it deeply on my soul to present this particular phase of the exercise of the dominion of Jesus Christ. And that the secret of our success here in this ministry, well, here it is, he's going to tell us, is in our teaching our workers to exercise the dominion of God through the Holy Ghost and that he has already put it in their soul when he baptized them. So see, he's saying the secret is we teach our workers that when they get baptized in the Holy Ghost, they got the power of God and that dominion is in them and they, they can exercise it at will. He said, that's the secret of the ministry that we had in South Africa. Now, is that not what you've been hearing these last three days? Yep. He says, while in other branches of this work, meaning the Pentecostal movement in general, now listen carefully. This was in 1911. They still follow largely the old line of intercession for the sick. In other words, they still ask God, they still beg God, they still pray to God to do this. And they said, this is the reason we get the results we do is because we don't beg God, we don't do intercession, we administer dominion. All right, you got that? Yeah. 1911. And in 2011, guess what the church was still doing? interceding for the sick instead of walking in dominion and starting to exercise the dominion of Jesus Christ and then wondering why they weren't seeing the miracles that Lake and others saw. And the answer was, Lake was 100 years. I, I'm not going to say he's 100 years ahead of his time. The problem is the church was 100 years behind their time. He says, we do not pray for God to come and heal as in the old days. But looking into his face, believing that he has baptized us in the Holy Ghost and that we have received the power of God through that baptism, we command in the name of Jesus, the devil and his works to depart. Isn't that what you've been hearing this week? Yeah. Yep. Nevertheless, dear sister, there are instances when God puts the spirit of real intercession even for the sick upon you. Now, remember, I talked about this the other day. This is the question I asked Wilford Wright. What did Lake mean by this? 
And he said, well, when they're at a distance, not when they're in front of you, not when they're present. He says, I am convinced that there is a secret and better place of interceding for the sick in exercising a dominion of God over the devil and his sicknesses that when learned by the Pentecostal movement will put the ministry of healing miles in advance of where it is now. And yet the church did not pick it up and run with it and they let it die for over 70 years. Now notice what he starts saying. His name through faith in his name has made this man strong. Didn't we read that this morning? Yeah. In that Acts chapter 3? Yeah. Such as I have, give I thee. Aeneas, Jesus maketh thee whole. He, now he's just quoting scripture. He says, we have never caught the force of Jesus' words when he said, proclaim liberty to the captive. He said, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He says, it was through the healing of a young man from Detroit, Michigan in your faith home at Buffalo that my interest for this ministry was first captured. And it was not until many years afterward when through the teaching of John Alexander Dowie that I really grasped the thing so that the knowledge of the ministry became vital or real to me. And it was only after I had received the baptism in the Holy Ghost that the dominion of God entered my soul that compelled me to command sickness and the devil to leave rather than to intercede with the Lord to take them away. Now notice he said, your brother in Christ, and he gave his initials, and then the, the other initials there was ELW, e which was his secretary, Emma Louise Wick. Now is that not what you've been hearing all week? He said, this is the secret. This is it. You want to know John Lake's secret? That's it exercising dominion. Now, I'll read you one more, <clears throat> uh, one more part, and then we'll, we'll break for the evening uh, until tonight. The next page, 171, How to Enter the Will of God by John G. Lake. The, he wrote this himself. And it is how to enter the will of God. There's two phases. There are two phases to entering into the will of God. The first phase is the surrender of our will to do the will of God, right? That's called getting born again, Right? Until you surrender your will to do the will of God, you are not truly born again. Then he said, most people's conception of doing the will of God is to become a non-entity. Now, it is not God's ideal for you to have to be pushed around like a machine or moved like a mechanism. Now, notice, he says, the other is recognizing yourself as God's son and man's servant. Now, to that, we've also added, we are God's son, man's servant, and the devil's master. Right? Now, he says, I think the most wonderful exhibition of this truth that God can give us is in the fact that he gives us the Holy Ghost to use for God. Now, that is foreign language to most people. That he gives us the Holy Ghost to use. In other words, he gives us this power. He gives us the person of the Holy Ghost, and we are to go out and use what he has given us. Right? Not wait around. He works with us, but to go. He says, For instance, the Lord says they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. But if you do not lay your hands upon anyone, they will not be healed. However, if you have faith to believe that you have the Holy Spirit to be used by Him and for Him, your heart and your hands will be ready. It is a sad thing to me that God has to go out on a special mission and hunt a soul up and wrestle with him in order to get him to do something for God. There used to be a Bible school in Ohio. This was in Finley, Ohio. As a matter of fact, I've been to this place. 
It's no longer a Bible school uh, prophetically. Uh, actually, what it is now is kind of prophetic concerning the church. It used to be a Bible school. Now it's a funeral home. Okay, so <clears throat> he says, notice, uh, there used to be a Bible school in Ohio where they waited in continuous prayer in continuous prayer meeting for nine months for the gifts of the Holy Ghost. I said to them, it seems to me if you stay around for 10 years in nine months, you will miss the gifts of the Holy Ghost. But if you take off your coat and go out and use what God has given you to bless others, he will give you more. Isn't that amazing? And, and everything he's telling them, and then we're going to look on the next two pages. We're going to look at that probably tonight. On the next two pages is John G. Lake's Secrets of Divine Healing. 15 things he said you must know and, 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 and assimilate. And then John G. Lake's Secrets of, of Spiritual Power. And that, there's seven of them on the two pages there. You can read them, but we'll talk about them tonight. But I want you to get a hold of this. What he said here. <clears throat> can you picture this Bible school? Because isn't that the same thing people do today? They gather up, stand around, call God, yell at God, try to get him to do everything. Hey, oh, God, come down, give us gifts, bring a revival. And he said, nah, you can stand there. And if you do that for 10 years in nine months, now, can you imagine him walking up, looking at these people, laying on the floor, crying out to God, oh, God, send us revival. Oh, God, send us gifts. John Lake walks up and looks at him and goes, y'all can do this for the next 10 years in nine months. You're going to miss God. You know, they probably looked at him like, shut up and go away. You know, we're trying to impress God with all of our begging and squalling and all that. Right? And he said, but if you would just get up, take off your coat, in other words, get down to business and go out and do what you're supposed to do, God will give you more. That's the law of sowing and reaping. He said, well, I don't have enough power. Then use what you got. If you give out what you got, you get more back. And the next time you give out more and you get more back. And it keeps on growing and growing and growing. Why should it just be dumped on you if all you're going to do is sit around and never use it? Right? So you have to actually go out and start doing this. Now, the last thing I'll tell you, and then... Honestly, honestly, this is the last thing I'll tell you before we go to break. Okay? <clears throat> Too often, like I said before, we have tried to uh, be the helper when we have a helper. And we're supposed to be the doer. And if you remember whenever Elijah chose Elisha, put the mantle on him and all that, and he said, you know, and then he said, let me go do all this stuff first. And he said, what have I to do with thee? And then he ran off and he, and he followed him. And then later on, he told me, he said, if you, he said, I want a double portion of your spirit. And I want this. And he said, well, if you're with me and you see me when I go, you can have it. And then he kept trying to send him away. And every time he said, I'm not going anywhere. He said, as sure as the world, I'll go and then God will take you and I won't get what I want. So I'm not going. So I'm, I'm with you wherever you're going. And then finally, if the, for the last test, if you watch what happened, when the chariot of fire came down and all this is going on and Elijah starts to step into it, before he's taken away, this whirlwind comes and is between Elijah and Elisha, and it's trying to get Elisha to look at it and get his eyes off of Elijah, and that was the last test. How focused can you stay? Can you keep your eyes on me? Do you see me when I go? If you look at the whirlwind and you don't see me when I go, you won't get it. But he stayed focused. He stayed on, on target, you might say, and then he was gone. And then when he went up, the next thing that happened is his, Elijah's mantle came down and Elisha grabbed it and all these other prophets, were, or sons of the prophets, were standing over there watching and Elisha picked it up and walked over to the Jordan River and smote that river with, his, with the, Elijah's mantle and the first thing he said is, where is the God of Elijah? Right? Well, now we can turn that around because what we should be yelling today is not where is the God of Elijah, where are the Elijahs of God? Who will stand up and do this? Who will do what Elijah did? Notice what Elijah 
See, here's where we're different. Elijah went and had the, the, the big confrontation with the prophets of Baal. And they went together and he said, okay, you, you, you do it first. You do your thing and you call on your God and whichever, and then after you're done, I'll call on my God and whichever God answers by fire, that's the God we'll serve. Well, he already knew what was going to happen because he said, you do it first and I'll do it afterwards. So he knew their God wasn't going to show up, right? Because if their God answered first and he said, after, he said, after you do your thing, I'll do mine. So he already knew their God wasn't going to show up. And so they started doing their thing and they started doing, you know, all the, they, they danced, they shouted, they screamed. They even went to cutting themselves, okay? Trying to call down fire, trying to call down their God so that he could bring this fire. And unfortunately, the church today is almost identical to the prophets of Baal. They're still trying to call God down. They're still trying to, they dance, they sing, they shout, they do everything they can to try to get him to show up, to pull him down. Rather, and, and I notice they will do all of that. The only thing they hadn't done so far that I know of is gone to cutting themselves, and that's probably next, right? I, I'm sure they'll turn into something spiritual, but that's what they're going to try to do, I'm sure. And so now he's there, and Elijah, now think about this. Elijah wasn't politically correct. He didn't sit over there to the side and go, oh, well, Lord bless them. You know, they just don't know what they're doing. He didn't say that. He sat over there and made fun of them. He sat over there and said, hey, maybe you need to shout louder. Maybe your God has gone on a trip. Maybe he's taking a nap. Matter of fact, he might even be in the restroom. He just sitting there making fun of them. Now think about it. That's not polite, right? I mean, that's not what, you know, well, that's not Christian. Well, Elijah wasn't Christian, all right? So that's the first thing, okay? <laughs> now, but you realize, I mean, think of that. Anyway, oh, we want the spirit of Elijah. Then you better get some confrontational skills. You better be ready to, to start confronting some things and start doing things. There's going to be some battles in the last days between different prophets, Right? And you've got to be able to stand up to these things. And he started coming. And then when he got up there, and I notice what Elijah did. He went over there, and whenever he said, okay, you've had your time, now I'm going to do my thing. And he said, now, here's what we're going to do. I want you to go, there's dry uh, wood around the altar, built it up. He said, do all this stuff. He said, now, go get these buckets, get these big buckets of water. Bring the water in and soak the sacrifice. Then you, I want you to soak the wood around the sacrifice. And I want you to soak the altar, the, the, the stone. I want you to soak it. What was he doing? See, we try to be the helper. We try to, to make it easy on God. Elijah did just the opposite. He said, if he's God, I can't make it too hard for him. He said, so make, let's make it as hard as we can, and I'll show you God will still show up. He didn't have to get the atmosphere just right. He didn't have to get everything just right. He didn't have to make sure the wood was dry and that everything, and, you know, have, have a, 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 a lit torch and say, God, you can use this to light it if you want. He didn't do that. He said, soak the wood. Fill the ditches with water. Let's make it as hard on God as possible, and I'll show you what kind of God I serve. What does the church do? Let's make it as easy on God. Let's set the, let's set the atmosphere. Let's get everything just right. Let's get the music right. Let's get the singing right. Let's get everything just right. If we can get all the people in unity, then it'll be great. If we can get all the people to come together, we need to get everybody together to come together to, to pray. And let me tell you, you know, we're going we're gonna to get everybody together and we're going to come, come pray for revival. If you can get everybody to come together and pray, you're in revival, right? Because you can't get everybody to come together. Amen, amen. And so you're trying to get everybody there and you're trying to get everything just right. And you think if we do it just right, if we get it just right, then God will show up. I can tell you, I don't need a God that shows up whenever I do everything right. I need a God to show up whenever I do everything wrong. Amen. Whenever I'm, I remember there was a movie a few years ago called The Alamo. It was a remake. 
And they were talking at the beginning. Uh, Jim Bowie was sitting there and talking about this thing. And he got in this big fight. And he said, and, you know, I'm fighting all these guys. And I look around. And what do you think I see? And this old hound dog. And this guy said, and his friend says, and goes, well, Jim, I hate to tell you, but you were wrong. He goes, well, that's when I need you the most is when I'm wrong. I don't need you when I'm doing it right. <laughs> that's the way we are. But we need to realize I need a God when I'm doing things wrong. When I do everything wrong, when I mess up and I don't do it just right. If our God only shows up when we do everything just right, we're hopeless. Amen. Jesus showed up when everything was wrong, not when everything was right. Amen. Amen. Now, everything I've been telling you here is to try to get you to believe that God wants you to do what he's told you to do. Amen. Amen. So tonight we're going to get a chance to do it. We got one more teaching I'm going to bring to you, one more section. And when we get back here at seven, which is only an hour and 40 minutes away, then uh, we will go into that. So, y'all, scatter the four winds, go bring people in, heal the sick, whatever you're going to do, and then come back tonight and we'll minister here. Amen? Y'all get anything out of this today? Yeah. All right. Good deal. Good deal. All right. Well, bless you.